Welcome to Exploring the Divine Feminine. I'm your host, Ramona Sidaway, and this is episode number two. We discuss all things related to the feminine divine, mostly within the context of the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Welcome, and let's dive in. Today, I'm going to discuss curses and consequences, especially as it relates to Mother Eve. For some reason, down through the generations um, from the Genesis account, we seem to have referred to Eve as being cursed and that all of her daughters are cursed because of her. That really frustrates me because nowhere does it say in Genesis or Moses or any other place that Eve was ever cursed. Adam was never cursed. And if you do, if you have a careful reading of Genesis chapter 3, you will see that in fact there were two separate entities that were cursed that use the word cursed. And the first one, of course, is the serpent. We read about him and how naughty he was. And so the Lord cursed him. And you know the story. He was made to crawl on his belly the rest of his life. So because of what he did, um, meddling in the affairs of Adam and Eve, he was cursed. Now the second entity is the land, the earth. And this is only the only true innocent in this whole narrative. And the reason that the land is cursed, and you'll read about this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. It was pronounced cursed for Adam's sake and by extension, Eve. And we think about that. Why would something as innocent as the earth and as beautiful as the earth be cursed for somebody else's sake? And I think one of the the great things about this narrative and what it teaches us is the importance and the joy and the progress and the growth that in order for us to have comes from work. Now, we don't, a lot of us don't toil the land for our bread, for our, to survive as much as they have done in generations past. But the concept is the same. The concept of working, of laboring, of, especially if you have a passion for it, it becomes very joyful. And what is that saying? If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And some people are very blessed to have this and others are not. And I recognize that. But I was out the other day just working in my garden and on my fruit trees, putting in extra soil, pulling out weeds, making sure that it's pruned correctly, and just feeling so grateful that I had that opportunity of doing that and that from my work, I would be able to harvest, I would be able to harvest some fruit and 
I was already harvesting at that moment the joy that I was feeling from working outside and working uh, with nature. And it just occurred to me at that moment how sad I am that so many people are not given that opportunity that it's almost taken away from them. Um, and that in a sense, we become slaves if we're not able to work. So that concept of the land being cursed, meaning it would not yield up the fruits and the vegetables the way it did in the Garden of Eden, that there would be noxious weeds, meaning that you know, Adam and Eve would have to sort out what is what is proper and good for them to use and to eat and partake of. And it would just take more work for things to grow. So that those two entities are the only ones that were cursed. Now let's go back to what about Adam and what about Eve? And Eve, she was given a better understanding of the consequences of her choice. And so there are three that I list in the book. We're only really going to talk about two. Um, one is that sorrow and conception will be multiplied and the second one I have in there is in sorrow, she will bring forth children. So we have a lot of different ideas. And like I talked about in last week's podcast, this idea of culture is that we take what is going on in our current culture and we flip it and put it on top of that narrative. And we say, oh, well, women go through this. So that must be that must be what that means, meaning that when we talk about, you know, the, the traditional interpretation from the mainstream Christian is that, you know, their conclusion is that sorrow and conception multiplied referred to the physical enlargement of the woman and that the sorrow of bringing forth children has to do with the pain of childbirth. Now, those could very well be part, partly correct. I always like to look through and see the positive. And I have found different commentaries and different Hebrew translations of those words. And it just brings a different, uh, it's a different enlightenment, a different interpretation of those two consequences. Because one of the things is I hate the idea of a woman carrying life as ever being any type of curse, even if the woman is, if the she's gotten larger because she's growing a human being inside of her. I, I refuse to see that as a curse. It's beautiful. It's an absolute beautiful consequence and a blessing. So Hugh Nibley, he um, he's passed away, but he, he was a Latter-day Saint scholar. And he noticed that the Hebrew word used in the Septuagint for multiply is plethinome, 
which in his words, in Hugh Nibley's words, quote, does not mean to add or increase, but to repeat over and over again. And I find that fascinating. And he continues, both the conception and the labor of Eve will be multiple, meaning that she will have many children. Close quote. So, as we know, especially as Latter-day Saints, that we are to find joy in and through our posterity. And yes, we do have some sorrow. But overall, we find joy in our posterity. So this is a good thing. That's why I don't think creating life is a curse. Um, it's a good thing. It's meant for us to have joy by having children. And then when the Hebrew word Arba is used in Abrahamic covenant, it means I will make you great. So what that means is with the Abrahamic covenant talking about making us great, multiple children will make Eve great. I hope I made that understandable. She's going to repeat having children over and over again. It's not just going to be a one time. And if you look at the Abrahamic covenant, and when he looked up the stars, and he looked at the sand, and he wanted children, and his wife was not able to produce at that time, Sarah was not able to have children, and he wanted that posterity. She wanted that posterity. And so God made a covenant with him. And because of those children, he said, you will be, your your posterity will be numbered like the stars or the sands, and they will make you great. So what, if we look between the lines of the, of Genesis, of any of the Adam and Eve narrative, when the Lord is talking to Eve, she, he said, yes, these are the consequences, but they will make you great. Many children will make you great. And then the second thing is about sorrow and bringing forth children. And the Hebrew word that was used for sorrow is atsav, A-T-S-A-V. And what this word means is to toil, to do something hard. And it's easy for us to think about this as it relates to childbirth, right? It's, I mean, that's why it's called labor. But according to Hugh Nibley as well, the root meaning doesn't mean to be sorry, though, but it means to have a hard time. So this word was used for both conditions and consequences of Adam and Eve. So when it talks about him having to toil in the field, it was this was the same word that was used. So both Adam and Eve are were going to sorrow and labor to bring forth life. Right? So Adam and his sons and Eve and her daughters 
whether it's laboring in the field, laboring the workforce, laboring with children, and whether or not a woman physically gives birth to those children. Some are through adoption or through fostering, but you know, the pregnancy part and the, and the labor part in the hospital, that's a short time. And there's a lot more labor involved with children. But those are all the consequence of bringing forth life. And the Lord was just reminding them or laying down the consequences of what they can expect and look forward to. Now, also in this chapter, I talk about the idea of uh, ruling over, having the husband rule over the, the wife. And I will talk about that in another podcast. I think it deserves its own podcast. But spoiler, spoiler alert, that was a mistranslation as well. Um, and it, they aren't meant to rule over. And even if that is the correct translation, I've got... I've got you covered for that as well. So when we talk about children and how amazing they are for us and they will make us great as daughters of Eve, in my mind, that's also a reason why I think that abortion is so devastating. It's not just devastating for that innocent child, that human that's trying to come to earth and to experience life. But it's devastating for the woman because she is knowingly choosing to diminish herself. And I understand the different reasons for a choice like that. But it's not easy. It was never meant to be easy. But I do not agree with it ever with the choice to end a life. Um, there's just way too many other, there's way too many other choices, other options that can be done. So that's one of the reasons. Um, and society has, in general, does a lot of disservice to women basically women and minorities. If there's anything that happens, goes wrong, it seems that the women and minority are the, are become the scapegoats. We've seen that through history. Um, I saw this on a Facebook post and it was talking about um, witches and uh, the time of Salem and when they were burned. And the way it was written, uh, the author said it was not witches who burned, but it was women. And usually um, at the time of Salem, this whole Salem witch trials and the things that were going on, there's been a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of theories about why that happened, but I find it interesting that it was mostly women. I, To be honest, I don't know the history very well, so I don't know if any men were, but it, we just hear about the women. And the start of the the madness was had been years of famine. Um, there was war, lots of fear, 
And so the people needed a scapegoat. They needed scapegoats for all of this. And so they turned to women. And um, I mean, anything from the way they looked, if they thought different, if they had, had red hair, it was just way too easy because women, especially at that time, were not able to defend themselves. Um, and it was a time of great fear, uh, especially for those women. But as I've been thinking about this, I've been thinking a lot about scapegoats and as it relates to women and mothers in general. A lot of times mothers are, they become the scapegoat for things that go wrong in their children's lives, especially if they're adult children or teenagers even. They will blame the mother. And I'm just speaking in generalities. Sometimes, you know, the dads get it too as well. But having been a scapegoat for, um, on occasion with my children, uh, at first I thought, oh, this really hurts. This is not fair. Um, but I was being blamed for every wrong thought, every sad feeling, every hurt that was going on. And then as I thought about it and I prayed about it and I realized the connection between women and Christ, that Christ was the scapegoat of the entire world, the entire, throughout all generations, right? He is the ultimate scapegoat, and he takes that upon his shoulder with such grace and gratitude that he is able to do that for his children, for the children of the earth. And if I compare myself in that sense, is that if the greatest scapegoat of all time is the Savior, I find it. I'm going to view it as an honor that I am a scapegoat and this is um, a sacred honor and it has totally changed my perspective. It has changed my attitude um, because if I turn it and follow the example of the Savior, I can do it with grace. And I can do it, I can be a scapegoat with patience because it's not forever. And I am determined to have patience and grace and faith and gratitude. So I have totally changed my thinking and my perspective. Now I am human, so if there's ever a time when I'm super, super sad, super tired, then yeah, that gets turned on its head. And I could start feeling sorry for myself. But overall, sisters, it's an honor. If you have been a scapegoat, I challenge you to turn it around and see what you can do with that. And to take that upon your shoulders. If you're not able to escape that, um, if you've been accused falsely, that is an honor because that means that 
in my opinion, you're a safe space for that child or for that person because they do not have the capability to take it on themselves and they don't have the self-awareness. And so they need somebody. They need somebody that they know will not stop loving them no matter what. And I think they know deep down inside that we are the scapegoats. So those are just my thoughts with that. Um, and I've, I've just been grateful that I've been able to look at that in a different way. Well, that is it for today. I thank you so much for joining me in this podcast of Exploring the Divine Feminine. So please hit the subscribe button. And there will be a new podcast every Friday morning, 10 a.m. sharp. So, sisters, it's our time. We are finally emerging from the wilderness to a better understanding of our divine purpose, our mission, and our destiny. So thank you so much for joining me. And until next time. <music>